0: So guys, thank you so much for joining. This is my inaugural podcast, Kavaya Daughter Speaks. I had put out a a small intro a little while ago. So Kavaya was my mother, who was like a phenomenal woman. And I'm Kavaya's daughter, and I'm speaking. And today I'll be speaking with the fabulous Joanne Mwangi. When I first met Joanne, I told her, that I like her diva energy because she's so energetic. She's so passionate about what she does. Um, so her name is Joanne Mwangi. She was she's originally from Nairobi, Kenya. She's living in the metro Atlanta area at this point. She's an evolving human being, a mother, a love of music and animals and especially elephants. She's a certified adult chair coach and she focuses on the inner child healing, uh, boundaries, emotional uh, and emotional wellness and she has group classes she also has individual sessions so however you need her i'm gonna post her information um, after the um uh, session is done but i want joan to introduce herself and tell us who she is what she does and why she does what she does
1: hello everyone thank you for having me here i'm seeing comments saying that my volume is low can you all hear me okay Zippy, okay, perfect. I'm just gonna keep talking. So, yeah. yes, I love elephants. I think as human beings, we can learn so many things from elephants because their emotional intelligence, I think, in the animal kingdom is it. Um, as she said, my name is Joanne Wangi, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm an auntie i'm a cousin i'm all the things that a human being can be i describe myself as an evolving human because i am consistently learning about myself and changing myself so that i can be a better human for other humans that is my goal in life i do um i do coaching um as as a passion uh, during the day, I work as a HCM consultant, which is human capital management. I implement HR software for those of you in the US. It is just software that helps employers uh, manage their employees in terms of payroll, uh, benefits, time and attendance, performance management, that's, that, that kind of stuff. My background is in human resources. And human resources, uh, the coursework in school involves a lot of human psychology, which is why I I was drawn into inner child things. Um, But the main, main, main reason I do this work as a coach is because uh, from experience, I was raising a child and hurting her. Tremendous based on the things I was doing. And I came to realize that the things I was doing to her are the things that were done to me. And uh, in the world we live in right now, our children question and our children will challenge us on the bad behavior we come with as parents. Um, And it takes us looking at ourselves, um, acknowledging that we were hurt, acknowledging that we were harmed because there's hurt and harm. Those are two different things. And also acknowledging that our parents are just human beings who did the best they could. And and for me, it also meant me accepting that I was a human being doing the best I could with the tools I had at the moment. So there's been a lot of therapy, a lot of apologies, and we are still Working on these things, still working on these things. This is a lifelong journey. And so, based on my journey, I realized in our community, and that is the Kenyan community, the African community, the immigrant community, there are things we do that we joke about to our children that are not funny, that are harmful, and that affect who they become as adults. And so, my my dream is to see a world where children are raised by parents who are not hurting them in the name of parenting and in the name of discipline so i will stop there okay continue
0: okay so so joanne um i i know that you of course have the experience of the african child because you are an african child born and raised in kenya but i'm also sure that you also coach other people who are not of african descent so i'd like you to yes. um integrate whatever you see in the um american community and the african community so now my question is um are you able to draw from some of your childhood experiences to help us understand where you're coming from of course
1: I, in fact a lot of the so to, pick, to go, go back a little bit, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. when I
1: started going to therapy, it was because my child was in turmoil.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Serious turmoil that she attempted suicide. And when we started therapy, uh, we were going to the same therapist, but she was seeing the therapist separately and I was seeing the therapist separately because I needed to understand what I need to be to be able to support her and to be able to help her through her journey. And Dolly, your face has disappeared again. We're just seeing your eyes. So (laughs) that's better.
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: the therapist started asking me all these questions about my childhood, how I was raised uh what my parents were like and and so for me of course there was resistance there immediately because why are you asking me about how i was raised and we are here about a different person i need to know how to support her Mm. um Mm. but then the 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 therapist told me a lot of times you do what was done to you as a parent because how your parents how your parents raised you is a template of how to be a human being so whatever you saw in your home consciously or unconsciously is what you're doing to this child and so through the conversations because it took hard conversations um it was me having to sit there and listen to her telling me how i hurt her right so there are things like um being emotionally absent So I would tell her when she was a teenager, I don't want the school to call me. Your your role in life is to be a decent human being. Go to school, get good grades, come home. I don't want to be called by your teachers that you're misbehaving. Uh, You have no reason to complain. You have everything you need, blah, blah, blah. What I did not know is she was being bullied in school. She was being bullied in the church that we were going to. So, and then I was a bully at home because I would not listen to her when she'd start telling me things like, I don't want to be here. And I'd be like, okay, then go where you want to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And that closes the door for any discussion. And I'd be triggered and I'd be telling her if I'm such a bad parent, go look for other parents. So then that shut the door for her to be vulnerable with me about what's going on in her life so Mm -hmm. by the time she was in her early 20s she was dating a horrible human being because guess what all the human beings in her life as a child were horrible including me and we were not Mm -hmm. safe so she was repeating whatever it is she was experiencing Mm -hmm. on the outside everybody admired us we were we had a good relationship but internally she was dying Mm -hmm. literally and figuratively so that attempt to suicide was a wake-up call for me as a parent Mm -hmm. and lucky for me unfortunate for many is that that child is still here and she still continues to teach me and she still continues to challenge me in the things i do she's 28. The suicide attempt was before her 21st birthday. So it's been eight years of working through this thing. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things that I can draw from my childhood is that I grew up in a hostile home where okay. my emotions were not, um, were not even allowed, right? Mm-hmm. My, my father was an alcoholic. My mother just struggled to get us to keep going you know to have food on the table to go to school to do all the basic things that we needed but our home was not safe my dad would come in his drunken stupors and kick us out in the middle of the night we would spend the night outside and then in the morning we'd figure out a way to get in shower go to school spend the day at school so for me um as a firstborn child my life was- was in a constant state of panic mm-hmm. constant state of worry about will my father kill my mother will we have a place to call home tomorrow all the things so that in itself is a human thing it's not just an African thing because domestic violence is everywhere that's true domestic violence is everywhere a child feeling emotionally unsafe at home is not an african thing it's a human thing Mm it is anybody and everybody can experience it based on who your parents are
0: yes and actually statistically there's very little difference between the different groups when it comes to domestic violence so it's it's the rich the poor it doesn't matter because domestic violence is not a money thing It's a hard thing more more than a money thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So those are the things I'm able to connect at a human level with my clients, regardless of where they are from. Mm -hmm. Um, Being loved as a child the way I needed to be loved. Because every child is born as a unique human being with unique needs. And give parents grace because children don't come with manuals they really don't come Mm -hmm. with manuals and if you have multiple children in a home each child you have to be very attuned with yourself and with the child to be able to recognize okay dolly needs this version of me and joanne needs this version of me Mm -hmm. it's not a one size fits all and then life comes at parents fast and furious you're working you're doing all the things the kids are doing all the things so it's not as easy as many of us make it sound Mm -hmm. if there's any parent who is consciously raising their children kudos to them because it is very very hard
2: true it's very hard
0: to um to be there consciously and especially if um you have uh stress from work you have stress from maybe your relationship stress from your friends your relatives it's 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 very difficult you have to make a conscious decision so in your experience what do you see is the most common um source of um, um, trauma because that's what we call it right because it, it, it is trauma yes yes Yes. What 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 do you see presenting in in the different communities you interact with? What do you see presenting, and what are the things that we should look at in ourselves while interacting with our children, spouses, co-workers, friends, and relatives that should be like a red flag, right, to tell us, hey, there's something here happening.
1: So maybe I'll first uh, I'll first um, define trauma Mm -hmm. um because especially for us as africans we tend to say i don't have trauma Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Have have trauma yeah because we look at trauma as war rape violence all the things Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but but how we were raised the schools we went to can be a source of trauma so some people don't have trauma from their homes because their parents were amazing humans but then you have of trauma from from school or you have trauma from your religious environment whatever the religious um, background you have so trauma the source of trauma can be many different places or many different types of people um and trauma i like dr gabor mate's uh definition of trauma and he says trauma is what happens in you as a result of what happened to you Mm -hmm. so it's your reaction your body reaction as a result of what happened to you um and for majority of us the source of trauma is emotional abandonment because we are raised by emotionally immature parents and from an african context and an african-american context or from a context of people of color around the world i like to say colonialism racism patriarchy and all the isms have something have a role to play in the traumas of all of us and from a kenyan perspective colonialism did a number on our ancestors, whoever they were. So if you can trace back who was there before you. So for me as a Kikuyu, I trace back to my great grandparents, right? Because they were alive during colonialism. And their livelihood changed to, to fit into whatever the colonialists needed them to be at the moment. So how, the kikuyus i speak about kikuyus because that is who i know not because Mm -hmm. i don't want to speak about the other tribes it's because Mm -hmm. that's who i'm associated with for example pre-colonial times kikuyu children were not beaten they were not whooped Mm. by, by adults they were talked to they were taught the ways of being and the way of being in that community But the colonialist came with violence violence on the men violence on the women and that translated to violence on the children and That was also introduced in the schools. So children were being whooped in schools, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're my age, you probably went to school and you were beaten by a teacher because you did something wrong instead of correction you were punished so Colonialism introduced punishment as a means of correction versus and shame as a means of correction instead of whatever was there culturally before to correct children, to correct adults, to correct anybody in the community. And so now as we live in the world we live in, we are interconnected with the rest of the world. We are adapting cultures that may not necessarily be what we grew up with mm. and the world is changing around us so people have to do what works best for them however when we look back we see the effects of all that change showing up in the homes and how mm-hmm. we relate to each other so all of of us carry an emotional wound that is not spoken about so you carry the shame of your mother you carry the shame of your father you carry they carry the shame and the and the pain of their parents unspoken it is called emotional inheritance mm-hmm. and so when you pass this on to children over and over and over you have adults who are doing things and they don't even why they are doing the things they do Mm -hmm. if your mother had a deep fear of something you more than likely have a deep fear of the same thing even if she never told you anything about it just because of the way she behaved around that thing thing. Mm -hmm. i
0: i agree because um i look at myself and i you know i have very small examples they might not be emotional but just examples of why i did some things i don't know why i did so for example nail polish right yeah. mm-hmm. we were told that um first of all if it was red, red red nail polish it was for the prostitutes right like it wasn't for regular people right <laughs> yes. so that yes. stigma so if you as a child liked red pol- nail polish nobody would allow you Or if if you stole your mother's nail polish or somebody's nail polish that was red you'd be in really big trouble because that color was associated with something different but also we were not allowed to put on nail polish because we were told that um you're not gonna pay attention in school and so coming here that's exactly what i did to my my daughter who um wanted uh some nail polish and i was like no you're not gonna have nail polish i had no reason really no reason but then one day it just dawned on me why am i not allowing my child to wear nail polish yeah. number one is in an area where she looks different um so and i'm allowing I'm, I'm i'm denying her the opportunity to do things that other kids are doing that are really innocent and when that um light bulb moment came i decided okay i'm gonna let her you know put up, you know have nail polish because it really wasn't an issue and guess what after doing it for two or three times she didn't want it anymore
3: yeah. and that's
0: a very status um um example but i have a more emotional example when children question us right at least i know that i was not allowed to question my parents yes and- and so when children question me, when my kids would question me, I would get annoyed, like angry. Like, why are you asking me? You're not supposed to ask. But I had no reason. And they're asking innocently why. But because I was raised in uh, a time when we didn't ask questions. And I was mm-hmm. never told, don't ask me a question. I was never told. I just know that that's how things happened. Like, you never asked adults yeah. questions. And so I did project that on my kids. And even to this day... Uh, although i'm a little bit better i i don't like to be asked (laughs) by my kids you know
1: yeah yeah i think i think also children are here to teach us children are here to mirror and if you pay attention to children they will teach you how to be authentic especially very young children i like i like children uh under the age of five because at that point the world hasn't really gotten to them to mold them into something they're not two-year-olds are perfect because they will tell you no and their no's are strong the rest of us especially as adults we, we 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 get triggered by a child's no and and then we mistreat the child because they've said no. Whether it's something as small as, I don't want to eat that food, or it's as something as small as, I don't want to go to that house, I don't want to go visit your friends,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or something as, as, as major as, I don't like your mother. And, and I usually say, what I'm seeing in 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 my classes that i i i I host with both men and women a lot of us were invalidated by our mothers including men and we don't acknowledge that a mother is a mother can be the best thing that happened to you in many many ways but also be the person who hurt you the most and who defined how you relate with other human beings. Not because she woke up and intentionally decided she's just going to be this horrible human being, but because she was doing what she needed to do at the moment when she was raising you and Mm -hmm. she didn't know better. So we then bring that wounding in our romantic relationships and then the children become the the recipients of the dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So if like you said, if you're pissed off with your husband, your children are gonna get the brunt of it. If you're pissed off with your boss, your children get the brunt of it, your husband gets the brunt of it, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know how to sit with our emotions and feel them and let them move through us and and, and sometimes excuse ourselves from people and places so that we can go feel those emotions so that mm-hmm. we can be better humans for other humans, mm-hmm. including their children.
0: Okay. Um What do you think the impact is on us as adults when it comes to boundaries
1: oh boundaries is such a complex 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 yet very easy uh, concept
2: Mm -hmm. um
1: i i think for those depending on the home you grew up in because boundaries are not hard for everybody Mm -hmm. but i see boundaries being hard for, for us and our community and when I say our community, I'm speaking about black people uh, because it is hard to say no because we attach meaning to any request that a person has of us. So for, I'll give I'll give an example of us as Kenyans and I think also most Africans do this. when somebody dies, we collect money to help with the death, right? To ship a body home, to bury the person, all that. And there's nothing, and I'm and and please people do not misconstrue what I'm saying. I there's nothing wrong with doing all that. However, many times people are giving, not because they have the money to give, but because they are like, if I don't give, people will not give when i have an issue it is scratch my back so that i can scratch yours right Mm -hmm. so for both of us living in the us we have the privilege of being able to get life insurance or for being able to to save money to 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 plan your life in a way that can afford you privilege to take care of things like burials and things like that and i'm not talking about extreme issues whereby somebody has been sick and all this i mean there are many many different situations however there are so many times that you're giving and giving and giving with the hopes that when it's your turn, people will give yet if you're no longer there you will not know whether people will give or not give
0: <laughs> that is true um joan can you give us an example and and i know that this is a topic we cannot cover in one day that is just the truth it's yes. very valid, but i want us to give like a little bit of something some you know in um in the different areas can you give us an example of your personal experience meaning something that um happened to you or was instilled in you or was the way of life for you that still affects you to this day even though you are an inner child coach because sometimes people think that if you're a therapist or a, a
1: coach like you have it all right yes um the one that comes to mind automatically is places where people are drinking and people are drunk i cannot be in those spaces mm-hmm. and for a long time i operated in autopilot self-neglecting and self-abandoning and going to such places even though i knew it wasn't good for my uh, mental health it wasn't good for my nervous system Literally, I get dysregulated the minute I start interacting with somebody who is drunk or drinking because it is a constant reminder of my experience with my dad as a drunk person. So I go into hypervigilance, which is starting to predict and play out how this scenario is going to be in the worst case scenario not best case scenario because my experience was with a belligerent drunk not with a happy drunk Mm -hmm. right
2: so Mm -hmm. for some
1: people if a person is a happy drunk that's what you know it's okay for me i'm not waiting for the happy drunk to become a belligerent drunk i start getting nervous i get anxious so i have made peace with the fact that being in environments where people are drinking and possibly will get drunk is not an environment for me because Mm -hmm. i still cannot function in those environments and it still affects me till today i'm going to be 53 next week and it's still happy birthday yeah Mm -hmm. thank you so Mm -hmm. that is an example of something that um affects me something else that i can say for sure still in the back of my mind kind of affects me is being yelled at Mm -hmm. and being scolded or somebody speaking in a harsh tone
2: Mm
1: kind of makes my insights just I don't even know how to explain it. Mm -hmm because it reminds me of all the times I was scolded, whether it was in school or in church or at home or wherever I went as a child. Mm -hmm. Back when I was growing up, it was when you did something wrong, you're scolded at home, then you're punished by your aunties. Um, A week later, then during the holidays, you go, your grandmother scolds you about the same thing. So it's a constant reminder that something is wrong with you. The village mentality right exactly so all that would make me feel a certain way and i think that is a part of me i'm still working on when Mm -hmm. somebody speaks in a way that triggers that memory
3: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah
0: um you know we were talking about an incident and someone was telling me uh no kids are children are resilient they won't um they'll get over it or they'll get used to it. And from what I know professionally, the opposite is true. You'd rather have trauma when you're an adult than when you're in your formative years, because when you're in your formative years, it sticks uh, when your body is, uh, your cells are being replicated and all that stuff. Everything is being formed. That's the worst time to have trauma or to have uh, bad experiences. But people always say that children are resilient what would you say to someone who says oh no their kids they're resilient they'll they'll get over it what would you say about that
1: so i would say resilience is directly related in, in uh, di- directly related to how you were raised and it is also very directly related in in the to to how your life was in the first Two months of your life. That's, that means when you are in your mother's womb to the first two months mm-hmm. outside of your mother's womb. Because that is when attachment happens. It is when you are getting to, to understand the world around you. Children can be resilient, but also the truth is children just adapt they don't they don't forget it Mm -hmm. it just becomes i will change myself Mm -hmm. so that so that i can i can survive this environment so for Mm -hmm. example domestic violence if you're in a domestic violence situation like i was i learned how to mold myself in a way that i will not be noticed so that i don't so that the attention is not on me um i learned how to not speak up i learned how to just shrink myself so that that there's no attention to me that is not resilience no it's not it's adapting to your conditions and then but
0: grown-ups would say you're resilient though most grown-ups would think she's resilient but the truth is you're changing who you are and you're gonna react you're gonna act a certain way when you grow up because of your experience so that really is not resilience it's you adopting because when you're not for example in a domestic violence situation most children report that they're afraid of doing anything that triggers the perpetrator, right? So yeah. that's why you're quiet. That's why you're unseen because you don't want to say something that triggers. For example, for you, it was your dad, um, or triggers whoever it is who who is um violent, right? Yeah. So you decide to to keep quiet, even if you're a bubbly child. So now you you become timid, and then you find that you grow up and you're a timid person. But that's not really who you are. You're always wishing, like, I wish I could just speak up, you know, because. You know because of the trauma
1: yeah yeah and and i think also what we fail to to see in children is that when a child starts changing themselves it is time for the adults in that environment to start asking questions hard questions Mm -hmm. because resiliency for example, in, in adults looks different from resiliency in children. Mm-hmm. I say when there's illness, right? Like children with cancer are very resilient compared to adults with cancer,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because right? they have that childlike mentality they know they are loved because they are loved on things are happening for them and everybody is doing the best they can for them mm-hmm. um but when a child is in an environment where they are emotionally unsafe physically unsafe not seen not heard, not understood that shutting down is self-abandonment And they learn how to survive that and how to thrive in that in the eyes of the adult, you're thriving, but Mm -hmm. there's a part of you that has died. Mm -hmm. And that's the part of us that as as adults, we say, oh, um, I'm not a creative person. I don't have creativity. Or I have no passion. I don't know what my purpose is because those those things were beaten out of you whether it's with words or with physical whoopings or with with action a part of you died consistently with every uh moment where you were unseen any moment where people were unkind to you as a child because mm-hmm. children need to be seen and loved unconditionally mm-hmm. I can give an example of myself.
0: Um, I'm talkative, but but um, um, when I'm comfortable, I'm very talkative when I'm comfortable. But I do remember that um, I was, you know, a very talkative and bubbly kid. And quite a number of people around me told me, right? So for those who don't understand what that means, it's kimbelembele is, what would you translate kimbelembele to be? like? Um, um i know it all kind of, kind of yeah i know it all yeah mm-hmm. and um as a child of course i i was not a know it all i just said what i felt and what came to my mind i was just being frank a child right yes i was just uh-huh. being a child but to this day that has affected me i find myself like not speaking up when something happens and then later on i'm like oh my gosh i wish i said this i should have said this i should have said that but that is something that was killed a little bit in me but i do have one teacher that i remember mrs um she was called miss nyagi and then she became mrs kimathi Mm -hmm. she really loved me and she told me uh, and she she was just about to go on maternity leave and she told me dolly not everybody's gonna understand you but i think you're such a beautiful person and i was like in second or third grade i was like tiny Mm -hmm. you know and she i was the teacher's pet she loved me you know i'm the one who had the i was the cupboard keeper. <laughs> we used to yeah. have the tea, to the, the 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 um the teacher's uh, cabinet, mm-hmm. and she really loved me. And I remember when she was going on, on maternity leave, she 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 kind of gave me like a short talk on how to survive because the next teacher might not understand who I am and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I remember when she came back from maternity leave, she actually took me to lunch one day with her. Like we went out of the school, you know, when the bell rings, everybody goes and sit in the field. I went with her to her home and you know she had lunch for me and then she brought me back. We were a little bit late, but she talked to the teacher. So she became like one of my favorite teachers, but it's because she saw me and she heard me mm-hmm. and she didn't judge me because I was just innocent. There was nothing wrong that I was doing. I was just being a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I'm just thinking about some of the issues that affect us you know, globally, like for example, parentification.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. what would
0: you say about parentification? Because I know a lot of the people who are here are parents, but what would you say about parentification?
1: I think parentification, uh, and, 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 and just to define parentification, it's giving a child adult responsibilities, and it's usually not intentional. Um, mm-hmm. For example, in families where they say, Six, seven, eight children. The oldest child becomes responsible for another child, and another child becomes. So basically, you have children doing adult responsibilities. Um that to me robs a child of, of their childhood. It robs them of their innocence. It robs them of their I amness. I call it I. I call it I amness because God gave us a unique way of being as individuals, and when that is taken away from you uh, as a child, you don't get to build it because it grows with you. And if mm-hmm. now at age nine, like for example, my mom was a parentified child because mm-hmm. her mother died when she was thirteen, and there were seven children including her so she became mother to her six siblings and the youngest was nine months old at the time
3: mm-hmm. so she had
1: no choice mm-hmm. right and that happens in many homes it also happens here for us living in the diaspora where the, when the parents have to work and you have an older child and you leave them and make them in you make them responsible for the younger
2: children
3: mm-hmm.
1: Single parents, I have full compassion for them because I don't think many people intend to wake up and be raising kids by themselves. Mm -hmm. But life happens, whatever the thing happens, right? And you're left with no choice but to have children responsible for children. And that just strips a child of their innocence. It strips them off of many things. But at the same time, it also gives them skills that make them survive the world better than most people mm-hmm. even though they self abandon in the process
2: yeah yeah
1: it's a double edged <laughs> sword yes yes so i guess i guess the best approach would be to
0: give your child responsibilities but with good measure like not all so 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 that the child cannot be responsible for the older and i'm not and i'm not saying it's easy to do this and i'm not mm-hmm. kind of pretending that you know, there's not complex issues surrounding, you know, bringing up children. But I guess the best thing to do would be giving them that responsibility occasionally so that they are able to um, get those skills that come, you know, being responsible. But at the same time, they're able to be children, because I do know a lot of people who are parentified and um, and, um, you know, and it, it shows you know, as you said, as you said, uh, with uh, when it comes to self-abandonment, when people now think of everybody else other than themselves. And so they're not even giving 100 percent of who they are, their authentic yep. self, because that's what happened to them when they were younger. And you know what? I'm thinking about that. And I I, I have to talk about my mother for a minute because this is yes. Kabaya's daughter, right? Absolutely. Talk she was very, very wise when it came to that, because I remember there's a time we didn't have a uh, house help and my mom stayed home for a couple of days and i remember the day that the house help was coming she was late she took us to the uh she took us to the neighbors house to wait there for the house help and she told us to keep on looking out so she was very intentional because she would have just left us by ourselves for you know while she was looking for someone to replace the house help who had left yeah. but she was very intentional and she did not uh, parentify and even i remember uh you know letting us go to nairobi downtown i would say nairobi town yeah to the city. it took a while yeah. before my mom yeah it took a while before my mom let us you know go to town by ourselves and i'm thinking a lot of kids were go- going to town by themselves but she was very intentional and she and and I, I i do know some people who told her you're spoiling your kids but she was like mm, i don't care like these are my kids and i remember there's a, a a lady who a a younger an older girl who would walk with us to the bus stop you know when going to school not because i even remember her name not because we were not able to but my mom felt that she wanted safety. you know yeah she wanted safety you know yeah. so i have a question here mm-hmm. somebody says that she has a dad mm-hmm. who was very harsh and whenever the dad came Mm-hmm. They would scatter. Uh, okay, let me just say, let me read it the way it is, right? Okay. I had a dad who was Mukali. Mukali means harsh.
2: Yes. yes,
0: we would scatter whenever he came home. I am a single lady in my 40s. How can my relationship with my dad affect my perception
2: of men? Oh.
1: I think so, it, it can go either way. I don't truly believe that all of us do like attract who our dads were or our moms were. However, there are elements, very strong elements of who our parents are in our significant others, in the person you choose as your significant other. So maybe for her, how that would manifest is, she might not be the kind of person who likes a a kind man who is not harsh she only knows how to interact with men who are harsh to her and maybe mean-spirited to her that's the only way she knows or on the flip side like me who is not able to deal with drunks she might be like i never want a person who is harsh like my dad so each person's individual journey is very different and very difficult to quote unquote diagnose Mm
2: -hmm. especially as a
1: single woman because if you're in your 40s you've experienced childhood trauma adult trauma all the things that you've experienced have changed who you are so whoever you're dating at this moment might not be even Anything to do with your childhood, it could be as a result of one of your adult relationships. So, it's a very hard question to answer from my mm-hmm. perspective. Okay, so the, the okay, so I I got two questions
0: because I had asked people to send questions. So the other question okay. is, my mom and my mom and I don't see eye to eye. I feel sad, especially when I see my friends relate to their mothers. I just feel like my mother is ice cold. And I'm afraid of the type of mother I'll be, especially because I do not know what a healthy mother, daughter, or even son relationship looks like.
1: So, oh, that, that one is, also, is a very common one in my, in my class. And unfortunately, um, there are mothers, and I'm not saying this is what her mother is, But there are mothers who are just really unable to love. There's a book called Mothers Who Cannot Love. And it gives different archetypes of mothers. And it all stems from childhood trauma. So, what I tell the women in my class and the men in my class who have difficult relationships with parents is to Dig deeper into who your mother was as a child. What kind of home was she raised in? But then also, is your mother in a happy environment? Is she in a loving marriage? Is she in a job that is kind to her? Because even adult experiences make people ice cold. Mm-hmm. Or is she the kind of person who never received love, and therefore the way she can show love is not the way you, as a person, want to be loved? Right? Mm-hmm. There's so many. There's so many things that could be happening here. But I always go back to one: Where did this person grow up? Who were their parents? How did their parents treat them? What was the schools? What were What were the schools like? What were the cha- what was the church like? Because all those environments shape a person and then also dictates how that person is going to interact with other people, including their children. Um, a woman who is being beaten, who is being mistreated, who is being unseen and, and, and all the bad things is not going to be a super loving human, mm-hmm. regardless of how you look at it. They may show some love, but it's hard for them. It's really, when you think about yourself as an adult, when you're going through hard times, are you an extremely loving, cuddly person, or are you ice cold? I usually say people who need the most love ask for love in the most unloving ways.
2: mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so what would you say?
0: How how would you describe um daddy wounds? What what are daddy wounds? Father
1: wounds. Yeah. So a father wound is just it's an emotional wound caused by a father or the lack of one. Some people have daddy wounds that are caused by the father. So it could be toxic masculinity where a father did not uh, present himself as a healthy man who was loving and kind and all the good things to his family. Um, It could be emotional absence. It could be violence it could be so many different things but in in short the way i i I explain a mother wound father wound is basically a wound caused by that primary parent that 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 makes it hard for you to relate with that sex so if it's a mother it it makes it hard for you to relate with women. If it's a father, it makes it hard for you to relate with men. A lot of men tend to have father wounds that are are not even talked about. Uh, uh, And and it shows up in, in the form of banter. Men are unkind to each other when men are going through things. One of the things we see in our community is when a man is going through hard things and they become vulnerable, they are told, ah we watch our mama.'
2: Can you translate
1: that? <laughs> that means stop being like a woman, mm-hmm. uh, or stop being yeah. controlled by your wife or by mm-hmm. a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it may be what you saw at home, or it may be. See what you did not see at home that's driving you so it's an emptiness that was not it's an empty an emptiness caused by the lack of emotional connection the lack of physical connection the lack of the father or the mother really truly seeing you as a person, mm-hmm. the way you mm-hmm. needed to be seen by that parent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it affects how you relate with your spouse and how you relate with children, how you relate with people in mm-hmm.
2: general. Yeah. So Joanne,
0: how how would you suggest that we start um looking to see because you you spoke about your personal experience with your daughter what are the steps you took to start the healing process between you and your daughter
1: therapy Mm -hmm. more therapy and more therapy (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and i like therapy because it's an impartial human being who has no stakes in my relationship her relationship this person has no stakes in the relationship but also emotional honesty is one of the things that i have to say has been one of the biggest transformative tools for me and when i say emotional honesty i mean being truthful to myself about myself and not allowing triggers to make me an angry, bitter person. Right now, anything that triggers me, I look at it and I'm like, hmm, okay, Dolly said that it made me feel a certain way. I wonder why. I look at it with curiosity and I dig deeper to make myself feel better and to understand myself better. So that the next time somebody says the thing that Dolly says or said, I'm able to be like, okay, I know why I feel that way. It's because that's how my mother used to talk to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's because my, it's, it's the story I tell myself about how I was seen as a child. Because triggers are a reflection of how you're feeling inside. They're not, they have nothing to do with what a person has said or done. So so for me, therapy, coaching, doing a lot of inner work and and inner work includes allowing myself to feel my emotions and validate my own emotions because nobody's going to do it for me. So if I'm angry, I'm angry. How How am I feeling my anger? How am I communicating my anger to those who need to know that I'm angry? Mm -hmm. And how am I regulating my nervous system when I'm angry so that the anger does not become rage? Because when we let our anger become rage, then it's taken out on other people who don't deserve it.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, So why do you think it's very difficult for people to accept that um, even though your parents are good people, or your community is a good community, everybody is well-meaning, that we have wounds that we carry. Why is it difficult for us to um, accept that? What, what what are the nuances you think contribute to that?
1: I think one of the things that contributes to that is there is a misunderstanding in the Acknowledgement that I was hurt by my parents is translated to my parents were bad people. My parents were not bad people. Mm -hmm. My my parents were humans who made human mistakes and I was the recipient of the human
2: mistakes. Mm -hmm.
1: And I am a true believer that outside of sociopaths and psychopaths, many human beings wake up with good intention every day Mm -hmm. and then along the way you get triggered by somebody and somebody becomes and somebody else becomes a recipient Mm -hmm. of your triggers because you didn't learn how to manage yourself and your emotions
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: so let's say
0: I was in school right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Mrs. X used to maybe not even beat me physically but used to tell me i'll amount to nothing and i still feel angry because when i think about mrs x it still comes up maybe 20 30 40 50 years later what would you advise me to to do should i go and look for mrs x because i know mrs x is in massachusetts for example or mrs x is next door or i see her on facebook or whatever what would your advice be uh, when it comes to letting go, what, what should I confront my, my?
1: Um, I don't. Want your, your perpetrator.
0: My perpetrator. Or the person who caused, for example, the people who called me Kimbelembele Some of I can't even remember some of them, but I do remember the one who was kind to me. What What would you say? How should we approach that?
1: I usually say. And I've had this come up in my class several times, even with parents. Mm-hmm. My mom is mean to me. She's always mean to me. Should I? Should I? Um, should I approach her or confront her? Mm-hmm. I usually ask, "What is your intention with a confrontation, and what end result are you looking for? And when you mm-hmm. don't get the end result you're looking for, then what?" Mm-hmm. Because the people who hurt you do not heal you. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that again. The people who hurt you cannot heal you unless they have done the work, Mm -hmm. they're willing to apologize and they're willing to change their behavior. Because apologies without changed behavior is not an apology. Exactly. So you can go confront Mrs. X. You can tell her she was mean to you and she called you Kimbelembele. 99.99% of the time, those people don't even remember. remember they did that thing to you. Exactly.
0: So your, your advice is that we need to look at why this thing is still a trigger to us and maybe learn what to... Is
3: truth,
1: what is truth and fact about you today? Okay. Kimbelembele.
0: Okay, so that's one way of looking at it. Okay, so the, look the at my one life today. question, yes,
1: the one question I tell people to ask, ask themselves. So if my dad, my dad used to tell me, "I'm stupid. Mm. You're stupid like your, you're, you're your stupid like your mother." Mm. Uh I graduated. I failed school. I failed. Uh, I failed certain subjects in school. Mm-hmm. But Mm -hmm. now when I look back at my life, I got really sick at age nine, which is Mm -hmm. when a a huge transition happened in our family. Mm -hmm. And for three months, I was in a hospital. Mm -hmm. And during that time, nobody caught me up with the foundational things I needed to know about certain subjects. Okay. So, but I, and I did not repeat the class. I continued with school Mm -hmm. as, as usual. And I did not get extra help to catch me up. So mm-hmm. fast forward to today. I have a career. I have I'm who I am. I am smart. Mm-hmm. I had my undergrad. I have my grad school, my graduate degree. I'm working in a consulting company and, and doing all the things that I do. And therefore, I can say today, the truth and fact is I am smart. Hmm. So if any time I somebody tells me I'm stupid, or that memory of my dad telling me I'm stupid comes to my mind,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I ask myself, "What is true about me today?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I know I'm not stupid. It's just mm-hmm. like if somebody told you, "Oh, Dolly, your orange hair is ridiculous." Is your hair orange, Dolly? No, your hair is not orange. You will dismiss that person with immediate effect Mm -hmm. so use the same strategy to dismiss the things that you have carried from your childhood that are not true about you today
0: and did you find that when people told you you look like your mother it was a trigger especially because somebody else told you okay so that was never a trigger for you for me it's not a
1: trigger my mother is beautiful Now, what I find, my dad did not like uh, us to have short hair.
2: Mm, Okay.
1: And we, my sister and me, we are two girls, had lovely, long hair. My mother has very beautiful, long hair. And Mm -hmm. I've always wanted short hair. I always wanted short hair. And the first time I ever cut myself, my hair, I was 13 going to 14 i was going to form one Mm -hmm. and my dad did not talk to me until my hair grew oh Oh. how long was that our hair grows very fast so maybe a few months of course i went to boarding school and came back Mm -hmm. with long hair right Mm because we braid it and it grows Mm -hmm. but my dad was like i don't want girls who look like boys in my Mm -hmm.
2: house Mm.
1: So now, if there are times I look at myself in the mirror and I see my dad
2: mm.
1: in the mirror, because mm. also the way my grays now I'm having grays, the way mm. my grays are growing, mm-hmm. exactly like my dad. So that sometimes is a trigger to me, and I'm like, maybe I should grow my hair so that I don't look so much like him, because
2: mm. I don't mm. like
1: that part of him that did not like me with short hair. Mm. Mm. But I have to debunk that every day I look at myself and say and, and remind myself of all the compliments I get when I walk out there mm-hmm. with my short hair.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: With my short curly hair, right? Because yeah. it's all natural it is beautiful. and curly mm-hmm. and people tell me how cute it looks and mm-hmm. I have to remember that there are more people who like me with my short hair than my dad who liked me with my long hair and he's no longer here mm mm-hmm. i see somebody asked a question i think okay. teresia is the
0: one who asked the question and um i hope i didn't miss any other questions i've just seen this one right she she said what i i think her question was what would you um
1: what w- what what's your take i see it what's
2: your yes, take on okay.
1: those who use scripture like spare the rod spoil the child to justify harsh punishments so religious trauma um i think the bible in itself and i'm a christian i'm a jesus loving christian and a lot of the scriptures we hang tight on are not what jesus told us to do christianity is about following christ and christ told us to love the church to love god with all our hearts or something like that I'm, i'm very terrible with scripture but i know what it says to love god with all your heart and love yourself love your neighbor as you love yourself your neighbor is another human being that is not you so I say to parents especially because we like to use violence on children as a means of punishment under the guise of I am correcting the child because if if I don't hit them, they will not do what I want them to do. Basically, you're using dictatorship in your home as a means of correction. And I say, if you do not want it for yourself, you should not want it for your child. So if today as a mother, if you have a husband and children in that home and your child does something wrong and your means of correcting them is violence, which is beating up a child, which is also domestic violence. Domestic violence is not just adult on adult. It is also hitting children. That is domestic violence. If you're using um, physical violence on your child to correct them, my question to you is, would you like when when you do something wrong as an adult person in your home, would you like your spouse to hit you as a means of correction for the thing you did wrong? Typically, adults don't want to be hit. Would you like your boss to slap you when you do something wrong. Because the workplace is a place where we learn new things. Mm -hmm. It's a place where we get grace and we are taught things over and over. We are put in training classes. We are put in, we're given mentors. But with children, we just want to hit the life out of them and tell them, I'm the boss. I brought you in. I can take you out. And then we expect expect them to be wonderful members of society who are not violent on other humans so my question to you is do you want that for yourself if you don't want it for yourself then you should not want it for your child or anybody's child
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: to me it's that simple
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Does any could you see any other questions
3: let me see I
1: don't see any other questions great conversation very informative I don't see any other questions now. okay
0: so anyway so now as an adult right what are the steps I should take to start examining like from what lens should I look at myself right to start looking at my behavior what I do and how it relates to my childhood. How do I start that process for myself?
1: So, I would say um, one, so there's three parts to us, and that's why I'm called an adult chair coach. The adult chair is uh, a healing modality that was created to make psychology simple. It's basically the tagline is, Simple psychology meets um, grounded spirituality, okay? And I would say that there's three parts to us, the child self, the adolescent self, and the adult self. The child self is age zero to six, seven. And that part of us is the most authentic part of us. It is a part of us that holds all things wonderful about us it is also the part of us that holds our true emotions it is the part of us that has our most authentic self then there's the adolescent self which is the ego it is our protector very important but it is also where all our coping mechanisms live If you had to adjust to be a certain type of way to survive your environment that is your adolescent self so if you find yourself shrinking when somebody um yells at you your adolescent self is in act is is activated Mm -hmm. and that's the part of us that most of us live life through we have not left our adolescent self and that is the age eight all the way to age 26 when your prefrontal cortex is maturing mm-hmm. and that is the part of us that is um from a medical perspective how do you explain it the part of us that is responsible for logic and decision making things like that decision making and things like that yeah so that's the part of us that also gets very triggered um It's the part of us that does not operate from from truth and fact. It's the part of us that operates from stories and assumptions. And Mm -hmm. so, so our adult self is the part of us that sees the child and sees the adolescent and merges them together and lives from truth and fact, lives in the present, does not bring the past into the present, does not bring the future into the present. Mm -hmm. which is why we ask what is truth and fact. So if you're trying to look at yourself from a lens of what happened to you Mm -hmm. and you want to do the hard work, I think getting guidance either from a coach or from a therapist would be the best because also not having the right resources can make you re-traumatize yourself. And all coaches, all therapists are not equal. I might not be the right person for you dolly as a therapist might not be the right person for you you have to i I say coaching and therapy are kind of like dating you have to find a person whose energy meshes with yours whose energy gels with yours so that you're able to be your authentic self if you need to cry you need to do your ugly cry without judgment so i tell people listen Sending to podcasts is a free way to do the work. Um, Asking yourself questions about your behavior is a great way to start. Looking at your childhood pictures and trying to understand what happened. And especially for those of us who have parents who are still alive and you have anxiety and angst when you're interacting with them sit with that emotion and find out what it is that is bringing that emotion and when is the first time you ever felt it because mm-hmm. like for somebody who has a bad relationship with their mother as an adult that relationship did not become bad now it's been bad from when you were a child mm-hmm. so explore explore what is it that makes that relationship the way it is where in your childhood did something change to make your relationship the way it is Mm -hmm. because a lot of times i can i can almost guarantee it's when you became an adolescent when your mother could not stand you anymore because now you are becoming your own self Mm -hmm. yeah i i do remember something
0: which is something i just remembered something so my dad was not always there i love my dad he's I look like him but some people tell me I look like my mom now I'm confused as an adult I yeah. look like my mom so I'm a little confused yeah. but I've always thought that I looked like my dad and he's dark you know dark and handsome but um I do remember that I did not have that many males in my life growing up that you know that we lived with on a daily basis and so I uh, when I had my son so I got married mm-hmm. to a great man and then I had my son mm-hmm. and my son and my my husband would be playing and I used to get so worked up because I thought that this is so mean like like how could you play like that but it's because I had no experience whatsoever of how boys play until my friend Millie told me no Dolly, because she has boys only she told me no Dolly, that's how boys are and I was like but to me I'm telling you in the first few times
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I used to get like even my heart used to be race because I used to be like, "How can you play like this? This is not play. this is being mean." So yes, our our childhood experiences really really inform us on what we do. Um, uh, you know how how we re- relate to people later. I see someone said your mom is is so beautiful,
1: Joanne. Somebody yeah, said that. Uh, that is purity, my friend. She's met my mom several times. Okay, and um. So, Irene says, so
0: the road in the Bible should not be taken literally. So, how should we interpret that? Okay,
1: so I, 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 so that, and I was actually looking it up on my phone because that is Proverbs 13 and Proverbs Mm -hmm. is is wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of those Bible scriptures are parables, they are lessons for, I, 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 literal, literal, I don't personally, and this is my personal perception.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Beating a child does not it's not love. It is not love. It's not love. And many of us were beaten and did not feel loved. And in today's world, if you beat your child also, you teach them that it's okay for other adults to hit them because we we tend to confuse children with our actions you hit them and then you tell them don't hit your sister don't hit your brother and definitely do not become a wife beater or um, or a a husband beater. yet you're the one who introduced them to violence in the home so for me i look at it from a logical perspective how Mm -hmm. do you you what what is love to you because this scripture says whoever spares the rod hates their children but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them proverbs 13 verse 24 and i am not a preacher maybe purity can come and preach that some other time but i i typically think discipline is what look at discipline from a perspective of an athlete structure repeating things several times to become excellent at it there's no person who's become excellent at anything from being beaten i really Mm -hmm. don't think i've not met one Mm -hmm. who was beaten into excellence Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if there is there is a part of them that is deeply wounded from those beatings. Yes, and and you know what,
0: the Bible, I'm also a Bible-believing born-again Christian. The Bible is one um, book that, you know, we have to be careful uh, about how we interpret things. But also in this podcast, I just want to say that what, what I'll suggest is you eat the meat and throw away the bones, right? Because we will not agree on everything you know, yeah. but I know that this is something that Joanne is very passionate about. And she says that that's the hill she'll that die is on. It's
1: the hill <laughs> I will die on. If you're a person who beats your child, it's the hill I will die on. I will forever be on your child's side, not on your side. I don't care what your child has done. Yeah, That's the hill I, mm. mm. I will die on. The same way it's the hill I will die on in terms of domestic violence there's nothing a human being has done that deserves physical violence so again that's why i come back to if you don't want it for yourself you should not want it for another person regardless of who the person is because hitting a person to me if you if you're capable of looking at a person and beating them up the way you would hit a dog or something another something that is not a human being you have to in your mind dehumanize that person to unleash that level of violence
2: Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and actually people are very
1: kind to animals (laughs) especially yeah
0: right people are kind to animals so you know hey okay so joanne what is your um what is your last word or what is the one thing that um if we were to go home or to go elsewhere what is the one thing that you'd want us to go and you know believe by or, or think about or,
2: or look for i would say
1: um a couple of things and i have them here as stickies that i love love so i'm going to read Mm -hmm. One, one is the world mirrors where you are with your evolution your spiritual growth your emotional growth and how you're living in the most healthy authentic version of yourself meaning you get what you put out in the world and then secondly our emotions do not control us they run through us and we choose how to respond to them. And therefore, we also have a choice in how we respond to other people's behavior. So nobody can make you do Mm -hmm. a thing. Your child did not make you beat them. Your husband did not make you insult him. You did not make your husband slap you. You have a choice as a human being to respond or to react reactions are usually bad they're usually harmful
2: Mm -hmm.
1: responses are how we 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 live life from an authentic kind nurturing way to other humans because if you respond your first instinct is not going to be hit the person but if you react, it's going to be the first instinct. Mm-hmm. So
0: that's what Harry I see. Said. a comment here. Okay, I see a comment here. I remember as a child, my mom used to weep us with a switch. I remember telling... Oh, I can't read. Because your 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 shirt, Joanne, is on my... is the white. Sorry. Can, yes, okay. So now I can see. I remember... Okay, so I remember as a child, my mom used to weep us with a switch. I remember telling her as a child... You, you mind? I will never hit my. Oh, I'll never hit my kids with a switch, and I never did. Okay, that's Miss Diane. That was my kids' uh, teacher. <laughs> so she said that her, she used to be whipped with a switch, and she, she remembered to- telling her mom that she'll never do that.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, so, so, Joanne, yeah, you have yes, a ma'am. wealth, 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 wealth of information. What yeah. is the time now? I can't see because it's nine,
1: 9 p.m.
0: Oh my goodness. Oh wow. So it was, you have a wealth of information conversation. yes Was yes. You have a wealth of information. You can never give it to us in one day. Yes. What I'll do is I'll post your information mm-hmm. uh, in the video so that people can, you know, can know how to get in touch with you. As I said, Joanne is a certified coach. The good thing about Joanne is that she can work with you from wherever Timbuktu to Kenya, to anywhere because yeah. she doesn't need a license. And like me, I have to be licensed in the state. that So so I'm licensed in New Jersey, but if you're my client in New Jersey and you go to Atlanta, I can't even do a telehealth session because then I'll be practicing out of my jurisdiction. So the good thing about coaches is that they can work with you anywhere and everywhere. Yes. And so, Joanne, I'm going to put your information out there. Thank Thank you, you. everyone, who was part of this podcast. Joanne, thank you so much for your time. I know you had a hectic day Thank you so much for making it. And um, our next podcast will be in two weeks and it will be a mom and daughter. You know, they'll talk to uh, a mother and her daughter and they'll talk to us about their relationship, how they worked to heal their relationship and what they do. They'll give us practical steps on what to do. I love it. I want to say good night to everyone. Good morning to some people. Good night and thank you so, so much for joining us and Joanne, I'll get in touch.
1: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being here, and thank you, Dolly, for having me as your uh, first guest. Thank you. Yes, I am grateful. Yeah, I thought it was
0: important to have you as the first guest because we are beginning with the childhood, right? So you know we can start talking about marriages and things that are up here, but we need to start from the ground and go up. Yes, from the foundation. Thank you so much
2: and good night bye. everyone. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.